Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. with Jesus, who stood with the Samaritan woman at the well, and in the face of her filth, he drummed up her sexual sin. In the face of her filth, he stayed. He offered her living water that she would never thirst again. And his great love, his great mercy compelled her into evangelism. I know a Jesus who looked at the adulteress to be stoned, and when the world wanted to, to, to tear her down for the reputation that preceded her, he said, if you have no sin, cast the first stone, and they all had to walk away. And I know a Jesus who said, I don't condemn you either. In response to my great love and mercy for you, go and sin no more. Thanks for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio with Gabe. And over the last few months, as people have been self-quarantining because of COVID-19, many sought ways to stay engaged, staying active both mentally and physically. Others tried to find ways to disengage, getting lost in binge-watching Netflix and such. Others went further to dull the pain of isolation by using various substances or online pornography. But as we've heard repeatedly from the Q stage, things like porn do little to alleviate suffering and loneliness. We just heard a small part from our main speaker today. Who was that, Gabe? Her name is Mo Isom. You maybe have heard of her. She's one of the all-American soccer goalkeepers. She was one of the first females who trained with and actually tried out for an SCC men's football team as a kicker. So those of you like me, I played football. Uh, we never had a woman try out for football when I was in high school. But now that changed because she was the first to do that for an SEC team. But she's kind of widely recognized not only as an athlete who had great success, uh, specifically as the soccer goalkeeper, but also as somebody who's just a rising voice for her generation. Mo Isom is somebody who has been so honest and transparent about her own struggle with pornography and her own journey towards finding healing. And it's out of that healing that she's talking so honestly about topics that many times in the church are not discussed, uh, whether they make people uncomfortable when we talk about sex or when we talk about porn or we talk about attractions or sex within marriage. There's all these conversations that sometimes just never get discussed and yet Mo has been willing to go there. Yeah, and Gabe, it's good to know that Q has a commitment to go there as well, asking the hard questions, listening carefully but earnestly to really try to understand the issues like porn and its effects on both men and women. Now, before we hear that talk from Mo Isom, we are actually going to hear from a couple of other voices. First, we're just going to listen to a portion of a talk by Dale Keene. Dale has spoken at Q events several times. He's a professor of ethics, economics, and the common good at St. Anselm College. We're going to hear a, a we're going to hear a portion of a talk from several years ago called Sexual Economics. He's going to talk a bit of Aristotle with us, but there's a key point we hope you catch. Just listen. The only thing that could captivate the human being is to be able to spend some time contemplating that being. This is the highbrow moment of, the moment of this lecture. 
The only thing that can fulfill us is for us to be able to spend eternity being able to contemplate that being and never fully know. For him, that's philosophy, the contemplation of the divine, the prime mover. It's not surprising that in the Middle Ages, Thomas Aquinas comes along and says, God. And so what Aristotle argued was that we were made to live in this relate, these relationships. And it wasn't about the money. It was about the quality of our relationships. And if we had our needs met, we could be fulfilled. There was a sexual ethic that he had. It was an ethic that said sexual relations should be confined to a marriage between a man and a woman. Why is that? Greece is not known for having a conception of sin. What he said was that sexuality is an appetite and that appetites by their very nature are insatiable and that the reality is, and we see this from pornography as just one example, is that the more you engage in appetite, the more that you would engage a sexual appetite, the more that you have to engage in it in order for it to be fulfilling. And so sexuality by its nature being insatiable is not something that can satisfy in and of itself. Did you catch that? Appetites are insatiable. And as Dale focused on pornography, the more you engage in the appetite, the more insatiable it becomes, we might add, the more destructive. Now, the problem with our technology right now, it's so easy to both engage and enrage one's appetite for porn. That takes us to our second voice on the matter. Jefferson Bethke spoke about that a few years ago at a Q conference. If you don't know Jefferson, he produces spoken word videos. Maybe you saw his video, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus, which went viral within 48 hours of being posted. In this talk, Jefferson gets honest and transparent as he looks at the relationship of porn and technology and what he needed to overcome it. Um, I think I was 11, um, not 12, even though that is the average, when I first saw pornography. And by 13, I was fully consuming, watching, and engaging with pornography on a daily or regular Basis. It was an addiction that lasted all the way until the middle of college, and I kind of even cringe using that word because during its time in teenage years all the way to college, it didn't feel like that. I, I, I didn't know another teenage boy who didn't watch it or talk about it regularly. We were products of the Internet age. Starting to walk with Jesus in college, I had to all of a sudden confront... The fact that I wasn't created for this type of distortion of my sexuality. There were monster-like qualities I started seeing in myself that were directly, directly related to my use of pornography. I became incredibly selfish. I became incredibly fast-tempered. My view of women was terrible. That played itself out in teenage and high school relationships. Pornography, and this is something we don't usually deal with, pornography actually changed me. But porn and technology have entered into this marriage as of late, and I don't think they're divorcing Anytime soon, a friend of mine who runs a large anti-trafficking organization that actually does a lot of research on how porn and trafficking are implicitly connected said to me, Jeff, Jeff, we are raising the most sexually exploitive and exploited generation in all of human history. How do we think that'll affect the world and society when we unleash them on the world and they're running businesses, running for office and leaders of our next generation? I think of the Steubenville rape case, which you might be familiar with, happened a couple years ago. It involved... If you're familiar with it, it involved a few members of a high school football team at a party that raped a 16-year-old girl when she became passed out after drinking too much at one of their parties. There was even a video that surfaced during the trial because all these kids posted all of the stuff from that night online 
that a few hours before the rape, while the girl was already incapacitated, they were grabbing her, saying terrible things about her, and literally picking her up and throwing her around the room in the living room in the middle of the party. And two things became deeply obvious when watching that video. One is they were completely numb already by 16 years old, maybe 17 when it was happening, that that girl was a nether image bearer of God. Literally to them, it was just an object to use and throw around literally in the room. It was, they, she was only for their pleasure and their entertainment. And secondly, when you read some of the teenagers' responses during the trial, many didn't actually think it was rape because it wasn't that bad since she didn't resist or say no, which she couldn't, by the way, because she was incapacitated, or since it wasn't violent in nature. They actually thought she existed for their pleasure and use just because she was laying there. They've been trained their entire life to think that way, and I wouldn't doubt that porn is a huge part of that. Porn is unequivocally destructive to marriages. We all probably know some people where it has damaged a relationship or something of that nature. It's damaging to relationships, to souls, to jobs, to lives. And in about the last three to five years, research has come out, not just on porn, but also on technology as two separate issues, how they are both actually kind of rewiring our brain and changing our very brain chemistry. They aren't just affecting us, they're literally changing us. Let that sink in. I don't think it's a stretch then to say that to some degree we are remaking humans and not in a good way. And the biggest hit I think we are taking with this, not only with porn or technology, but specifically when they interact with each other, is the utter death of true life-giving intimacy, vulnerability, or that nakedness. And I don't mean that physically. I mean the nakedness where you see the depth of another person, you see all that they are, and you say, I still want you. I'm not going anywhere. That is love. Being fully known and fully loved at the same time, that is intimacy. And porn, by its nature, cannot give that. No one knows what it means to be intimate anymore, and not just in our sexuality, but platonically speaking as well. As a millennial, when I go out to eat, there's an awkward silence. What do we all do? We pull out our phones. I actually heard a big marketer guy say that in the future, the most recognizable human feature will be the top of people's heads, because that's all everyone's going to be able to see. But it's true. We don't know what it means to be known anymore. In fact, I think we're terrified of being known, not realizing that joy is hiding right on the other side of that. I think we have a long road ahead of us, and this is deeply a multifaceted issue, deeply multi-complex. There's a lot of things that go into it, but I think two things that might help us continue on this journey, or at least what I mean by that is two things that have to happen if we're going to see any progress. The first, we need to continue a complete and utter assault on the objectification of women. We do not realize how deep the issue is. Women are not commodities. They are not objects. They're not slaves to the male gaze. See, the problem with porn is it not only turns women into commodities or objects, but it commoditizes sex itself. Sex is no longer something sacred, but simply a consumer Good. We have made orgasm not something that is this deeply beautiful climactic moment in the covenant of marriage, but it's actually now something you can simply buy, usually at the expense of a woman. And sadly, objectification happens in many different spheres of the Christian world, too. Some people... I've heard when they're fighting lust or pornography or all these different things, they'll say things like, well, don't do that or don't look at that because that's someone's daughter, that's someone's wife, that's someone's sister. I get what they're trying to say there, but at the root of it, they are actually tethering that woman's value to the relationship of her with a man. It's saying she only means something because of who she's related to, not who she is. There's a big difference. But the truth is a woman isn't valued. But the truth is... 
A woman is not valued because she's someone's daughter. A woman is valued because she's someone. That's a big, big difference. Nothing can bring more dignity than the realization of someone's genuine humanness, the sacredness of skin and bone and air and lungs and life. There's glory in the beauty of a body. There's denseness and beauty and glorification in God creating us with bodies. Let's never forsake that. And I think restoring that can help kill the objectification culture. And sometimes it's incredibly subtle too, by the way. Like I have an 11th month old daughter named Kinsley. And sometimes with dads and daughters, they say weird stuff like, oh, I'm sorry. Or they'll say, uh, sometimes a little more subtle, they'll say, oh, she's really cute, but I bet you can't wait to have a boy. It's like, what are you saying? Are you saying that she is like a JV version and I just can't wait till I use her as a stepping stone for the boy? So we have to be careful, even in our subtle conversations, that we are lining up with our own ethic of what we are preaching. I read online someone who said, success in porn or success in fighting porn happens when a guy looks away from porn, not because of shame, but when they have such a high view of woman that it's a woman that it's nearly impossible to get arousal from her exploitation. And lastly, we need to replace the no with a better yes. The only way to create lasting behavioral change is by actually giving a superior pleasure. It's like a a desert, right? Now, if I'm in a desert and I'm dying of thirst and a toilet bowl magically shows up, it might be a barrage, probably is, I would drink it. Would I not? Would you? It would probably taste amazing. I would guzzle that beast, put a straw in it, just tip it over. I'm probably not that strong, but you know what I mean, right? It would taste amazing and I would absolutely love it. It would satisfy me to some degree. It might make me sick the next day right? But if I'm home where I was born and raised in Washington state, we have amazing tap water. I know that's not true of all people. I've been to Louisville once. Not good. Anyways, if I'm thirsty, where do I go? I don't go to the toilet. I go to the kitchen. Now, when I'm walking by the bathroom to get to the kitchen, I don't white knuckle my obedience to not drink the toilet water. I don't say, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't look, don't look, don't look. Do I do that? No. Why? Because I know I have something better. The superior option fades my attraction for the toilet water, might we be people who not only say, hey, that's going to hurt you, or hey, that's damaging, but there is something better. Come this way. Come find life and beauty and intimacy and peace and mystery and wholeness and all these things at the feet of Jesus. I truly believe that Jesus is the truly human one, the prototype of all new creation that we can all fall in line with. And if we truly want to know what it means to be human and have a flourishing human existence, might we follow him? Because progress will not be made until we not only say no, but also say yes. Progress won't be made until people understand the fact that porn cannot deliver what we're truly created for. And that's that giving is better than taking, vulnerability is better than hiding, and covenant is better than contract. Thank you. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Thanks for listening this week. Again, we're looking at pornography, or more to the point, the brokenness it causes, and how some have found healing, like we just heard from Jefferson Bethke. Often, porn is characterized as a male problem, but more and more women are falling prey to it and its destructive power. To hear that perspective, Gabe, let's turn to a talk from our Q2018 conference. Again, this message is from former soccer star Mo Isom, who has a book on her experience, right? She most recently wrote a book called Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. I want you to listen with me now as we listen to Mo Isom deliver a wonderful talk on how we can think better about sexuality, pornography, and God's design for human relationships. More so than anything, I am invigorated to be with you all because there is a part of me 
that just wants right now in this time, in this culture, where we are in the world, I just want to stand up and I want to release a battle cry. I just want to stand on a mountaintop and let the lion of Judah just roar out of me. And God so deeply desires to be the lion of Judah that roars out of you, reclaiming his truth, his promises, his goodness, his instruction, his never failing, never changing, never forsaking, life-giving word to the world. We bear a responsibility as, as women of God to not shrink back, but to step up. And to rise up for the sake of generations to come. And where I find this topic stirring in me so much, because right now it is like the biggest thematic issue and conversation in our culture is around sex. It's around sex and it's around sexuality and it's around brokenness and it's around sexual sin and it's around all things that the world has stolen. This beautiful gift given to us by God, this act of worship, this weapon against the enemy, and the world has stolen it, twisted it, cheapened it, perverted it, worshipped it, and suffered the consequences. And we have a responsibility as women of God to rise up and reclaim sex for the glory of God. And the world is suffering right now. The world is struggling. It's like this loud shouting match, this great worldly debate. And they're looking occasionally at the church. Do you have any, anything for us, any answer, any insight, any, anything to help here? For a moment, they're going to glance at the church and look for answers. And when they look, we're a little silent. We're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't even know how to address that. This is so big. This is so messy. This is, I don't, that's not my place. And oftentimes, if we're being really honest, ladies, I think we're silenced by our own shame. We so often carry sexual testimonies that might look different for every woman in this room, but the enemy is so keen to use our sexual sin to silence us into shame on a topic that God cares fiercely fiercely about. And that was so um, my story. I am not standing up here as a preacher. I am standing up here as a pilgrim who learned every hard lesson, every hard way, whose life was one of misguidance and misbehavior and rebellion and then repentance and this roller coaster ride of sexual struggle because I didn't understand sex in its entirety and the church wasn't having those conversations with me like they should. And so I struggled with, um, let's just, if any, you, well, we won't do a show of hands, but in your heart, raise a hand. Um, there's one woman in the back like, mm, it's going to be me. Um, but I struggled with the virginity vow um, we make, and we actually know nothing of purity. And so we push the envelope over and over and over again in the darkness. But we're still a virgin, right? We're puffed up and prettied on the outside and I made the virginity vow. I was exposed to pornography at eight, wrestled with an addiction to pornography until 18. I was promiscuous, lost my father to suicide, and my great response was to find any sin-sized piece I could to fill the God-sized hole in my heart that hurt. Gave pieces of myself away to anyone who would give me some worth, some value. I was an adulteress without even realizing it, involved with a married man because I was drunk in college and didn't care. Oh, but I was still a virgin. I was the woman who came to know redemption, 
but then still struggled when temptation entered back in. Check all the boxes for sexual brokenness, and that was my story. But guess what? That's not my identity. Because I know a Jesus, and I know a word of God that speaks boldly and and practically and, and constantly about sex. The first conversation God ever had with man wove together our identity as humans and sexual instruction. Our worth, our value as image-bearing creations of God with sexual instruction that was beautiful. I know a Jesus who stood with the Samaritan woman at the well and in the face of her filth, he drummed up her sexual sin in the face of her filth, he stayed. He offered her living water that she would never thirst again. And his great love, his great mercy compelled her into evangelism. I know a Jesus who looked at the adulteress to be stoned and when the world wanted to to, to tear her down for the reputation that preceded her. He said, if you have no sin, cast the first stone. And they all had to walk away. And I know a Jesus who said, I don't condemn you either. In response to my great love and mercy for you, go and sin no more. I know a God who uses Rahab the prostitute in the lineage of Jesus Christ. I know a Jesus who looks at our sexual stories and says, I'm not finished with you yet. I am a God of redemption. I am a God of love. I am a God of hope. I am a God of healing. It is my deepest desire to reclaim wholeness in your life. And then, girls, stand up on that mountaintop and roar like the Lion of Judah. Because healing's coming and revival's coming, and I make all things new. We are living in this, in this time where sexual sin is so rampant. I'm not the only woman in this room who struggled with pornography. You guys, in 2016 alone, in one calendar year, on one pornographic website, there's hundreds of thousands, On one website in one year, we as a people consumed 4.6 billion hours of pornography. That is is 524,000 years of pornography, 17,000 complete lifetimes on one website in one year as a people, and then we came back for more. I can't tell you the number of women I hear from who reach out to share all of this sexual struggle and baggage whose testimonies are so similar to mine. And they reach out saying, I didn't even know we could talk about this. I don't, this is, this has been so shamed in my life. I've stayed so silent. I didn't know what God had to say. I thought he was one of wrath, anger. He couldn't use me. He doesn't desire to see me. It's too much. And I said, no, 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 sister. He desires to use all for his glory. So boast in your weakness and point to the glory of the cross. There is grace that he desires to pour out. There is redemption that he desires to pulse through. There is healing that he will raise you up with. But you guys, in response to a me too culture, we must say then me first. Me first. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, whatever sexual baggage I carry it, let me hand it to you. I'll go first. Lord, whatever lack of forgiveness I'm giving, whatever's been done to me that's still binding me down that I'm bitter about, God, let me hand it to you. I'll go first. If I want to shift a culture, if we want to shift generations for our children, if we don't want the world to still be a me too culture when our kids are coming up, then we must say, then me first. I'm not going to be silenced by shame anymore. I'm going to say, here it is, God, have it, take it, take it. Work in me right now. Do a holy and hard heart work in me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
correct what I've misunderstood. Bring me as a wandering rebel back home. Pour out your love and your mercy and your grace and your healing. And then I'll go first and stand up and say, wait a second. I will reclaim sex for the glory of God and I will begin speaking to my children about it and I will begin working in my marriage on it with my husband. I will begin understanding the fullness of it. I will begin equipping myself with the ability to have the heart conversations with others about it. I won't be silent anymore in a world that wants to silence me. I won't be silent anymore for an enemy that's, that's, that's keeping me hush. No, I will stand up boldly and say, I know the truth. I know the living water. This is hard. This was messy. But it's available for you too. So me first. And ladies, would we stand up and would we roar and reclaim the gifts of God as good and holy? And I believe we'll see healing and redemption and revival in our generation. Thank you guys so much. I told you that Mo would bring a powerful talk. I hope you felt that as you just listened to her confidence, her boldness, her willingness to just call out a few things that we need to do better at, that we need to be thinking about around these conversations. And it's not only for our kids. It's for us as adults. As you think about others in your life who maybe are struggling with some of these questions, they're not super aware of what they believe about some of these things and specifically don't know who they could talk to about these conversations around sex, I would highly recommend that you forward them, share this podcast with them, have them listen to it. Let this conversation be a starter for you to have a conversation with somebody about these difficult topics. Maybe it's your spouse that you'd like to listen to it. Maybe it's somebody who you know has gone through a past where pornography has brought a lot of shame into their life and they're not quite sure how to release that, how to move forward, what their worthiness is as they move forward in their relationships, whether it's in marriage or just in friendships. But share this. Let this be a tool to equip somebody, to encourage somebody today. You know, that's our goal here at Q. We want to engage some of those difficult conversations, some of the ones that are just hard to bring up and it's hard to know how to talk about them. But we believe if we just stay curious about these things, if we learn to think well, and then we go out and we actually do things with this, that that's what changes the world. And so I hope you'll continue to follow this podcast. Invite others to listen in throughout the summer, throughout this year, Every episode, we're bringing you a talk that we believe is timely, is critical, has been thought through really well, and will actually encourage and help you. I hope this has been encouraging to you. I hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll look forward to our next episode. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.